And now we look at the Bible passage that we'll be pondering uh, with in a few moments. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus at the beginning of this chapter is talking about um, the way that we should give charity, as it were, to the poor and do it in secret. He then moves on to the subject of prayer, and that's where we pick this reading up at chapter 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And give us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus adds, For if you give men their sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. During my pastorate in Harston in South Cambridgeshire, a group of church members approached me. They were mainly relatively new Christians, and their spokesman said this to me. He said, we are the theological thickos, and we want you to teach us the Bible. Please, can you start a house group for us? What a challenge. I was only too glad to oblige. And each house group meeting ended with a time of prayer. But it gradually became clear that very few of them had the courage or the confidence to take part in the open time of prayer at the end. And inevitably, I was approached again with this request. Well, along those lines, not quite, Lord, teach us to pray, but Howard, can you teach us how to pray? Well, again, it was a lovely challenge, which I was only glad to respond to. And I tackled it in this way. Uh, the following time we uh, had our house group, I produced some blank pieces of paper and uh, a pencil for each of them. And I said, I want you to write down, first of all, how you would like to address God. You might like to say, 
dear God, or O Lord, or Heavenly Father, or whatever feels right to you. Just write that down. So they did. Then I said, I want you next to write down the words, thank you for, and then write down something that you want to be grateful to God for. And then I said, write down the words, I am sorry that. I said, you, you don't have to sort of um, air your dirty linen in public if you don't want to, but if there is something that you would like to confess to God, write that down next. Then I said, write down the words I want to pray for, and then write down the name of somebody else. Somebody who perhaps is on your heart at the moment, and they have a need, and you'd like to commend that to God, and commend that person to God. And then I said, finally, I want you to write down, I pray for myself, and, and write down something you would like God to do for you. And then finish off by saying, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. Well, when they'd finished writing, I said, right, now we're going to pray, and I want you to go round the circle, there are about, I suppose, about seven or eight of them, and I want you to read your prayers out loud. The prayers inevitably were expressed in fairly simple words, but they came right from the bottom of their hearts. And I am not ashamed to tell you this morning that the tears were trickling down my cheeks. They had begun to learn how to pray in public. This verse that we read, Lord, teach us to pray, is the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him there must be something about the way he prayed that made them want to ask, something that made them feel their own way of praying wasn't quite what it should be. And in answering them, he gave them the Lord's Prayer, those words that we call the Lord's Prayer. And as we begin this series on the Lord's Prayer, I've been asked to speak on that first sentence, Our Father who art in heaven, or in some of the modern translations, Our Father in heaven, and it could be translated Heavenly Father. And I have to say that is my own preferred way of addressing God. And the word Father is absolutely crucial Because the language which Jesus spoke was Aramaic. It's related closely to the Hebrew language. And the Aramaic word for father is Abba. But the interesting thing is that Jewish people in the time of Jesus would never have thought of using the word for God. They would have used it of their own earthly father's but they would have considered it too intimate to use when praying to God. But Jesus really was introducing a revolution both in thinking and praying by telling those disciples, I want you to address God as Abba, Father, just as you would your own Father. Now, there's biblical evidence that this is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. 
Jesus' own prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane begins, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And again in Galatians 4, Because you are God's children, he sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So it's almost certain that Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples how to pray, would have encouraged them to begin with the words, Abba, Father. So what then does this mean for us in our relationship with God and especially in our relationship with God in prayer? Here's my first point. For us it means that God is an approachable Father. How many of you know that for uh, quite a number of years I was a hospital chaplain in the National Health Service and uh, those years began at Fulbourne Hospital in Cambridge and uh, as a relatively new chaplain, I learnt an enormous amount from the senior chaplain, but he also uh, sometimes put me on the spot to uh, give him a little bit of advice. I remember on one occasion he said to me, I've been asked to give a talk on children's spirituality. Have you got any ideas, Howard? My reply to him was this, that a child's view of God depends very largely, at least to begin with, on their view of their own earthly father. And he said, I do agree. And so a child who's had a very bad father will find it very difficult to understand the idea of God as an approachable father. Indeed, if you had a strict father, you may very well think of God as essentially strict. And if you had an easy-going, laid-back father, you may very well think of God as basically very indulgent. And we have to be careful that our view of God comes not so much from our earthly fathers, but from what the Bible teaches. And we are quite clear from the scriptures that God is neither super strict nor is he overindulgent, but he is eminently approachable. Now, you hardly need me to tell you that there was a very famous royal birth in the last few days. And uh, there's been much talk as a result of the uh, royal birth about good parenting. And the question's asked, you know, well, will William and Kate be good parents? And uh, everyone seems to agree that William will be an excellent father which means that he is the kind of father that uh, he always needs to be. And so we can say that God as our approachable father is a father as we always need him to be. He is certainly not a bad father. He is a good father. Now, two weeks ago, there was an interesting article in the Times, a newspaper, about David Beckham, the footballer, as a father. 
And apparently uh, David Beckham told the journalist who was interviewing him that uh, he thought that there should be both niceness and toughness in parenting. And he says this, the niceness and the toughness do not contradict each other. They naturally coexist. I'm delighted to know that uh, uh, Beckham is not only a good footballer, but a good, sensible father, because I think this is excellent advice. And I think it's right that God's demands on us as a father can be tough at times, because there are disciplines to be learnt, and a good father will learn to discipline his children appropriately. And so God must discipline us with rules of Christian behavior so that we grow into Christian maturity. Without his discipline, we would not grow in that way. It was interesting that uh, during a research project that I was doing on the subject of uh, dealing with our guilt feelings, One of the people that I interviewed said that he had thought of God always as very oppressive and demanding because his own father had been exactly like that. But he said, when I finally stopped thinking of God as oppressive, I realized that God is nice. Very interesting word to use. God is nice. Now before I pass on to the uh, next main point, I just want to say this. There may well be in this congregation one or two who will be saying, Ah, you're talking about the fatherhood of God. What about the motherhood of God? Now I turn inevitably to the wonderful passages in Isaiah where the prophet talks about God in terms that specifically apply to a mother's care for her children. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, says God through the mouth of the prophet. That's in Isaiah 49. And there is a similar verse in Isaiah chapter 66. And it's a welcome reminder that when it comes to parenting, God exhibits all the qualities of a good mother as well as those of a good father. But I have to confess that I cannot bring myself to refer to God as she. Some people do these days. Now here is the, uh, the second main point. Our God is an adoptive father. I look back over my ministry and uh, I've come across a number of families that have uh, adopted children and brought them along to church. I particularly remember a family in Yardley Baptist Church in Birmingham that I began to get to know not long after becoming the minister of the church. And um, it was a Christian family, very committed mother and father, and uh, a son aged about nine, ten years old. And somebody said to me, do you know that their son is adopted? And I said, no, actually, I I didn't realize that until you told me. And this person then said, and did you know that when he was adopted, he was a real handful and caused major problems to his parents? 
Now I said, I didn't know that at all, and I would never have guessed he was a delightful young man. Now when God adopts us, what he does is he brings us into his family and he changes us for the better. It's so right when people say that God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He is a God who is in the business of making us what he wants us to be. Galatians chapter 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, that we might receive adoption as children. Remember that uh, John chapter 3 verse 16 in the New International Version translation says this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's a reminder that Jesus is the only natural son of God, if I can put it in sort of human terms. But God has millions and millions of adopted children and we are among them. Ephesians chapter 1, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. A reminder that adoption is a lovely and loving thing to do. And Romans chapter 8, you receive the spirit of adoption. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. A wonderful reminder that those who are adopted are entitled to all the privileges which natural born children are entitled to. And we as God's children are entitled to as much support and help from God as Jesus himself was. Perhaps the greatest and best known verse about adoption in the whole of the New Testament is the one that we hear every Christmas from John chapter 1 and verse 12. It doesn't actually refer to the word adoption, but it says this, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption into God's family when we believe in Jesus and commit our lives to him offers wonderful possibilities of change and opportunity. What evidence do I have? Well, just three weeks ago, Callie Magalais was standing in this very pulpit and she was telling us her testimony about how her marriage broke down very soon after she got married. And in utter desperation, she turned to God for the first time in her life and was transformed. Now she is out in Brazil and she is helping street children and young people who've been put into prison to find God for themselves and to experience that same change that she experienced in her own life. Yes, God who adopts us is in the business of making us what he wants us to be. Now, I'm very well aware that sadly some Christians do bring disgrace on the name of Christ. But my experience is that the vast majority of the Christians that I know 
are honourable people and caring people and supportive people and generous people and people who do a great deal of good in society, both in this country and overseas. And I am glad to be a member of this family. Main point number three, an almighty father. Now the first words of the Lord's Prayer, as you will be well aware, are not just our Father, but our Father in heaven. It's a salutary reminder that the God who is the loving Father of his people is also the, the sovereign ruler of the universe. Adoption came into our family not so very long ago. And uh, my daughter in Cambridge, who was not able to have children of her own, and her husband decided in the end that they would adopt two children. And my wife and I attended the uh, court hearing in Peterborough when these two children finally received legal permission to be adopted. And we were very impressed with the judge. We were, first of all, ushered into a typical courtroom, you know, with a great big chair at the top and a long bench across and seats in front and looked very awesome. But when the judge came, he took us into a side room and uh, it uh, it wasn't awesome or formal at all. It was just a an ordinary room and he sat behind his desk on a chair and we were that round on chairs informally and he was a very deeply impressive man. And then after the hearing finished, he allowed the uh, two adopted children actually one by one to sit in his chair and of course he was asked, where's your wig? And uh, he hadn't worn it because it was too formal. But he said, I have got it here. And he produced his wig and he put it on the first one and then he put it on the second one and they loved it. He was delightful. He was approachable. But we would not have dreamt of being matey with him. And so too with God. God, our friend, yes, Our mate, no. He is God Almighty. Again, I turn to Isaiah, one of my favourite books in the Bible, with its glorious picture of God. This is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. The balance is absolutely right. And it's because our Father is in heaven that all the resources of heaven are made available to us when we come to him in prayer. Now just briefly in closing, I want to share with you types of prayer so that we can answer the question, well, how should we pray? And I'm going to list five different kinds of prayer. No one kind is any better than the others. You'll probably have one that you prefer, or you'll use it more often than any of the others. It's a matter of personal preference, and some people use one at one time and another at another time. Here's the first one. Extempore prayer. 
You have no set agenda. You pray as the Lord leads. And you pray about what is currently in your heart and mind. Secondly, meditation. Sometimes also called contemplation. It's often based on a verse or passage of scripture. And I've used this approach to prayer on a relatively small number of occasions, usually on hospital chaplaincy retreats, where this approach tends to be used quite a lot. And uh, it's, I find it very helpful, and it's practiced each month in our chapel here on Sunday evenings at 8 o'clock at regular intervals. Third kind of prayer, praying in tongues. Some Christians do have the gift of tongues. The Bible makes it quite clear that not all Christians have the gift of tongues, but those who do find it a very uplifting gift that helps them spiritually when they're engaged in private prayer or sometimes in public worship. The fourth kind of prayer is printed prayers, sometimes called set prayers or read prayers. Church of England prayer books contain large numbers of beautiful set prayers, printed prayers, and there are many, many books of printed prayers in Christian bookshops which are available for us to buy and are suitable for every conceivable personality. And fifth, Lists of prayer topics, and this is, I have to say, my own preferred method. And I compile my lists using the Brighton Road Weekly Bulletin with the events and the people who are there to be prayed for, the Brighton Road Monthly Prayer Diary, which I find so helpful, prayer guides from various Christian organizations particularly missionary organizations and prayer letters from individual missionaries. It's amazing how soon you can collect together a lovely list for prayer. I want to close with these words. In the April 2013 edition of our Brighton Road Mission Lines News Bulletin, Gavin and Gwenda Williams, who are two of our missionary contacts from this church who have been working in Uganda, are quoted in that bulletin as follows. They said, most Christians in Uganda have never encountered the idea of individuals spending time alone with God. Now that's very sad. But will you please forgive me if I ask a pointed question this morning? I just wonder what the situation is in our own country. Is it, sadly, something like that in Uganda as well? I hope not. And I hope that as we leave this service this morning, we are saying not merely in our hearts, Lord, teach us to pray, but also, Lord, Please motivate me to pray because we know that the God who's adopted us through faith into his family is there for us and that the resources of heaven are there also for the taking.